This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Columbia Pictures presents Heavy Metal. A trip beyond the future to a universe you've never seen before. A universe of mystery. A universe of passionate fantasies. A universe of terrifying evil. A universe of magic. Heavy metal. That hurt myself. I hurt myself doing that. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody, to a brand spanking new episode of 80s Revisited. It's me, your host, the heavy side of the podcast, Trey Harris. With me, as always, the metal producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. (laughs) We need like random, like wailing guitars sprinkled throughout this episode. But uh, we're back talking about uh, the first animated movie in quite a long time. I think probably the first animated movie since our special animation month, like four or five years ago. Wow. uh, Actually. So we're talking about Heavy Metal, the adult animated movie. Louder and nastier than ever was one of its taglines. This came out August 7th, 1981. Needless to say, I didn't see it in the theater because I was a wee lad of one. Actually, that... Barely, let's see, August 7th, 81. Yeah, I'd have been on my way to two. I'm a January baby coming up next week or week after next, uh, January 30th, 1980. Yeah, wow, 42 fucking years ago. Jesus Seems like Christ. yesterday. <laughs> it does. <laughs> That's the thing, you know. I, I, I distinctly remember thinking like, wow, I want to be old and like, you know, when I'm 20, like, wow, I'm 20. Right. I'm still not 40 and then you're 40, like, Wow. I used to be 20, but at least I'm not 60. (laughs) You know, it's just in hindsight, it's like it's a blink of an eye. But, it, you know, it took you the same amount of time to get there as everybody else. Mm -hmm. But anyway, IMDb (laughs) says this movie is a 6.7. Rotten Tomatoes, 61% critics, 67% audience. So pretty good congruence there between the two. Budget was a 9.3 estimated. Uh, Now, I got some conflicting stuff here between sources. IMDb says that the opening was two hundred and four thousand dollars for the opening, uh, and the domestically would go on to gross five hundred and forty-six thousand. However, Wiki says twenty million for the the, uh, complete uh, theatrical gross could be re-releases too. I'm not sure. Didn't go into anything more than that. So I'm just spouting what I've read between two sources, and you choose. You decide how much it made. Now, much like uh, last week or week before last actual movie episode, The Twilight Zone, this is an anthology film, uh, an animated adult anthology Canadian-American film, to give you as many adjectives as possible. So there's a lot of directors, a lot of writers. I'm just going to run through them real quick just to give everybody their one second of fame on this podcast. But the directors Mm -hmm. include Gerald Potterton, John Bruno, John Hollis, Julian Harris, no relation, Jimmy Murakami, Barry Nelson, Paul Sabella, Jack Stokes, Pino Van Lamsward, and Harold Whitaker. There's all your directors. Your writers include Daniel Goldberg, Lee Blum, Dan O'Bannon, he who wrote Alien, uh, Daniel Goldberg, oh, I already mentioned him, sorry, uh, Richard Corbin, Bernie Wrightson, creator of Swamp Thing, Angus McKee, Mobius, a.k.a. Jean Girard. Uh, he's, a, he's an artist, mainly. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff, but mainly uh, art department for the Fifth Element, Tron, Willow, and the Abyss. 
and also I believe he was the one doing a lot of the artwork for the never, you know, done Jordowski's Alejandro Jordowski's Dune. I believe he was like the artist for that, the uh, pre-production artist, all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, uh, starring the with or with including the voice talents of uh, Richard Romanus, which is a cool last name, Romanus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Harry Canyon. He's also in Point of No Return and the another animated film, Wizards from the uh, I think that was from the eighties. Uh, Don Franks. It's F R A N C K S. So it's Franks with a C, and throw in there too. So Franks maybe I'm not sure. But uh, he voiced Grimaldi, co-pilot, barbarian. Uh, he's a big character actor. He was in Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, as well as the original My Bloody Valentine, another Canadian film. Uh, Jackie Burroughs was Catherine. She was also in The Dead Zone, did a lot of animated stuff, including the Ewoks animated series. Uh, Joe Flaherty, was a, he was the lawyer and the general. Uh, he was in Happy Gilmore, Back to the Future 2, Detroit Rock City. I think he had nearly like 200 credits. Uh, and then one of the biggest stars, actually, today at least, Roger Bumpass, with another cool last name. <laughs> uh, he was Hanover Fist uh, and Dr. Anrak. He was in The Running Man, uh, but he's a very big, I would say, I guess a big name voice actor. He did voices for Command and Conquer, Teen Titans Go, and he is the voice of Squidward on SpongeBob SquarePants. Wow. Uh, and then starring, and then rounding out the cast, a couple, several unknown people. Uh, John Candy, right, uh, as Death Sergeant Dan, Din, and a robot. Uh, this guy was in such things as Uncle Buck, Home Alone, and Cool Runnings. We did a whole month on him. This no-name actor, go check him out. Uh, John Vernon, he was a prosecutor. Uh, I will always remember him as the evil landowner from Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, Eugene Levy, uh, he was Stern, male reporter, and Edsel. Of course, Schitt's Creek, Armed and Dangerous with John Candy. And the late, great Harold Ramis as Zeke, of course, Ghostbusters Stripes. And the recently talked about last episode, Ghostbusters Afterlife, post-mortem, I guess would be the right way to put it, an appearance there. So uh, some big names there at the end, of course, doing some voices. But this is a series of eight segments. Twilight Zone, the movie, was what, Five, let's see, one, two, three, five, including the wraparound. Yeah, five, including like the, the opening with uh, Dan Aykroyd. So this one has eight and it's only an hour and a half long. So <laughs> they, you know, it's it's all over the place. Uh, now, a little background about this. Heavy Metal is was a magazine. Uh, I believe it was originally known as Metal Hurlant, which I didn't realize they were the same thing until I was looking up the info in this episode. Uh, because I haven't seen this movie in 30, 25 years, like forever. It feels like it feels like forever. Sorry. <laughs> I never decreed again on this, on this podcast. Uh, but uh, basically, the gist of the movie is it's a Canadian-American adult animated science fiction anthology. It was adapted from the magazine and original stories from the magazine. It features, just like the magazine as well, it features a great deal of graphic violence, a whole lot of sexuality and nudity with various beings, <laughs> including a robot. Uh, and they try to crank it out so fast. That's why the animation just varies between each of the segments. Mm. Uh, it was uh, pretty much broken up between different animation houses working simultaneously. Uh, and despite mixed reviews from film, film credits on, on its initial release, it was a modest success at the box office and is now a bona fide cult film so yeah like i said eight uh eight segments i'm just gonna kind of run through i'm gonna do the who what when where before we get into my thoughts about it uh just to get everybody on the same page if you haven't seen it or maybe you just heard about it or maybe you've seen heavy metal 2000 and not the og heavy metal with its iconic cover parody on everything from south park to other stuff that i 
don't know, <laughs> but it's been very, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pop culture thing for sure. Uh, but it has eight segments. You have soft landing, which is kind of the opening where this, uh, rotoscoped artwork space man comes down and drives his, uh, Corvette to his house. Then you have Grimaldi's the second set or second story, which is, uh, which basically just the next part of the first one where uh, the astronaut gets out shows this opens this case he got and it's this green glowing orb that just literally just melts him and then kind of i guess the most probably my second favorite one harry cannon uh, canyon it's like a cab driver in 21st century new york very kind of fifth element almost ish uh but all these stories involve like the orb the Lochnar, and as it's talking it's kind of talking to the girl in the beginning then you have din which is a nerdist, a nerdy teenager, which with Don uh, John Candy voicing it's the, his distinct voice being a teenager is <laughs> a little out of place, but it's still entertaining. Then you have Captain Stern, which is a square jawed space pirate on trial for numerous charges, and only his character witness can save him. Then you have Neverwhere Land, which actually, uh, oh wait, that's a deleted segment. Hold on, I'm sorry. Then you have the B 17, a crew on a World War II bomber must survive the machinations, machinations of Loch Nahr. That one was pretty cool. Yeah, so beautiful and so dangerous. A voluptuous secretary is transported by accident on board a spaceship when its crew retrieves its android. And she basically marries a robot and is only pleasured by a robot. And then the last one, probably the most popular and the one on the cover, most people think of when they think of heavy metal, Tarna, which is basically this warrior, uh, last of her race warrior woman who basically defeats uh, Loch Nahr at the end and saves the future with the girl from the wraparound story. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the Grimaldi segment is the link device that ties it all together. The is always in all the stories and it's primarily, uh, now of course the music genre of heavy metal, give you a little history of it because you know, most today heavy metal is way different from what it was in 81 or considered. Most people would not consider a lot of the music like today, you know, younger people today would not consider a lot of the music in this film to be quote unquote heavy metal, but heavy metal, uh, de- to define it as a musical subculture genre whose grassroots derive from the white blue collar working class culture whose archetypical bands are or typical typal i don't know actually the word is archetypal so i'm sticking with that uh bands are for example judas priest black sabbath iron maiden metallica acdc and the birthplace of heavy metal is historically acknowledged to be the city of birmingham england so uk mm. pete uh all our friends over there in the uk uh, thank you for creating heavy metal. Definitely one of my favorite subgenres of rock and roll uh, during the late 60s and early 70s. So that gives you some background on the actual music itself. And those bands, aside from Metallica and ACDC, I don't know if Maiden was on the soundtrack. I know, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, Sabbath and Judas Priest are, I'm pretty sure. So now some background on well, my personal view and experience with the film. I first saw this randomly on, uh, I want to say maybe TBS in the middle of the night. And I never, I always kind of heard about it or remember hearing the soundtrack or hearing about the soundtrack or just hearing how cool it was from other people. But it, this was not a readily available film for a very long time. Uh, only maybe, I think maybe until the 90s actually when it was on D, actually on DVD for the first time ever. Uh, very late into the 90s, I guess I should say, when it was on DVD. Uh, so it, was, it wasn't something that, you know, unless you recorded it on HBO or TBS or whatever channel it came on late at night, uh, that's when you have to see it. So I saw it a couple of times, but never from the beginning until much later. Uh, and that was, like I said, 25, 30 years ago. I'm not sure how long ago it was. It was forever ago since I've actually watched it. But I always remember catching it with bits and pieces of it and never understanding what the fuck was going on. 
because I didn't know it was an anthology movie right. until way later when I got to watch it on DVD from start to finish. I'm like, oh, this makes <laughs> sense now. This is not a movie you can catch just, you know, like I said, you turn on halfway through. You can pick up kind of what's going on, but you're still kind of lost because all of a sudden you're in this spaceship with these aliens snorting cocaine. All of a sudden this woman's banging a robot. Then all of a sudden this badass chick is slaughtering these zombie kind of creatures, these mute zombie mutants. And Sounds like Marvel movies. exploding. <laughs> Good point. I heard WandaVision so, in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of Guardians of the Galaxy. Zombies Basically, is coming all in, up. In, there you go. All in one smorgasbord of condensed into an hour and a half. So yeah, uh, now watching it last night for the first time in equally as long as between I first saw it and I actually watched it from the beginning probably, you know, I understand why it's a cult movie. This is a cool movie to just have on in the background at a party or something, but it's just, it's not that good. Some of the stories are good. I like better than others. Don't get me wrong. The Tarna one's cool. Um, like I said, I like Harry Canyon because he's like a, you know, it's kind of like a Blade Runner kind of thing in terms, or I say Blade Runner, but kind of a, a film noir, futuristic kind of thing. You know, he's like, hey, yeah, uh, and he's, I mean, he's disintegrated. He's got a disintegrator in the back of his cab. It's fucking cool. Uh, the other, a lot of the other stories are just kind of, you know, you know, I guess silly is the right word for some of them, not all of them. The B-17 was pretty cool. Uh, you know, so you got a lot of different things going on here. A very mixed quality and mixed animation. Some of the animation is, you know, for the time, it's fine. Today, it's obviously not. But, I, you know, so for taking place, you know, taking consideration when it was made and you had all these different animation studios and directors doing it. That's why you see the difference in quality. You got some rotoscoping, you got some hand drawn, you know, regular animation, all these different styles. You know, it's not necessarily bad, uh, but it's just, you know, today it's just, it's, that's the main thing. Today it's just, it's watching it today. It's like, wow, I don't think I'll ever watch this again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm kind of done with it. So I'll listen to the soundtrack a lot more than I'll ever watch the movie again. Uh, but for the time, it was pretty badass. You know, yeah, this is an, a, a very, very adult movie. <laughs> I mean, there is nudity, uh, full frontal uh, women all over the place, and even a, a you got a you know dick alert in a couple of spots. <laughs> uh, you know, and it, it's just it's just there. It's just presenting it. It doesn't you know this is the. It's not like drawing. I mean, well, blatantly. I mean, when Tarna's getting dressed in the end, I mean, it's very like let me put this over my nipples and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> But uh, it's not like you know, it's not like a porn or anything, although there's sex in it, you know. But it's very, you know, it's just this is the world that it creates, and this is what happens in this world. So, mm. uh, you know, it's it's a product of its time, I guess. But it's definitely understandable why it achieved a cult status uh, with everything going on in it. However, like I said, um, that wasn't too. It was just like ah, oh, another segment. Okay, oh, this one's cool, and then like oh, this one's kind of silly. Oh, this one's weird. Oh, this one's good. So, you know, you're kind of like how we have with the Twilight Zone a couple weeks ago to where, like, you know, first segment, despite the background stuff, cool story. Second one, cool story, but totally like, you know, you're going happy. We go tragedy to happy to surreal to nightmare inducing. So you're on like this weird roller coaster for the Twilight Zone anthology. That's a, that's kind of the big thing with a most anthology movies. The good ones maintain a really good flow, like the original Creep Show, Creep Show 2 as well. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side, even. I really like that one. I think that, I don't know if that was in the 80s. I think it might have been 90. I don't know. Not, I'm not sure if we can cover it on the podcast. I'll check the date. Right. But the best anthology movies, you know, they have that flow. You're going on a ride from beginning to end. Uh, and Twilight Zone, it's very uneven. It's an uneven ride, but it, it's worth it in the end. Heavy metal, it's 
eh, this one's good, that one's not, that one's okay, this one sucks, that one's good, this one's not, etc. And there's a ton of anthology movies, so, you know, just pick one and watch it and, you know, you, the good, the ones that stand the test of time are the ones that we still talk about, like Creepshow and such. Uh, and Twilight Zone, but for the wrong reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> what year was that, Jesse? Tales from the Dark Side? Uh, 90. Oh, yep. Too bad. I mean, probably filmed in 1989, but released in 1990, so... Yeah. So Jesse, have you ever seen 1981's Heavy Metal? This I remember this as a movie my dad kept trying to get me to watch. Like it's a cartoon. Wow. You got yeah. a cool dad cuz there's like titties wow. and blood and all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. We I mean nothing was really off limits. It's just like I don't know. It yeah, it didn't appeal to me even in its animation and all that stuff. It just But that was the last time I watched it when I was, you know, it was like either the 80s or 90s. Um, mm-hmm. but I just remember this sitting on his shelf next to all of his CDs and stuff. <laughs> you know, my dad loved that music. So, yeah, I mean, the music, music is absolutely great. The cover art is great, but everything like, else is yeah, mixed nuts. Like my dad. I mean, he was a hippie. He grew up in this time, <laughs> you know, the people that were animating probably looked a lot like him. So, you know, you had to be, uh. You had to just be uh, smoking and listening to the music, and then you could really enjoy it at the time, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And again, that's, I think that's the biggest thing you have to remember. You know, this is from 1981, you know, an adult mm-hmm. animated movie in 1981. So you have, you have to give it that. You, know, you can't hold that against it because so for its time, all the respect deserved, in my opinion. But today, it's just there's, you know, animation's come a very, very long way from you know, to be fair, a lot of the crude, you know, for the time, groundbreaking, but now it's crude animation. Right. Uh, it's some, is it different? Yes, absolutely. Can't take that away from it. Is it cool? It's cool. But that's, you know, <laughs> not everything that's cool you want to do all the time or yeah. rewatch all the time. But like I said, the soundtrack's an absolute banger for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, but the, the background movie, animation looks really good, actually. It's hard to pay attention yeah, to the, that, but yeah, the stills in the back. Really well, Mobius movie. actually did a lot of that himself for some of his segments. Mm. Uh, so very that that really good attention to detail you see in a lot of it. And then you yeah. have, you know, it's like those. Uh, remember back in the day, you had like the sticker of the magnet books. You had this really cool picture, mm-hmm. and then you have these crude or these anime, you know, these static characters that have like big white border that you're just to stick on them to make scenes with. It's like okay, <laughs> you know, like they stand out because they you know take the white border off of them first yeah. of all. You know, make it a little more seamless. So, but it's kind of like that because you like you said that absolutely great point. You know, the background artists, which are numerous and too many to list here, just go to INDB. The art list, art department in this movie is huge because, again, in multiple houses, our studios are handling the different segments, mm-hmm. which A is cool because you get to see a lot of different artwork. But on the other hand, you get that varying quality and style, which, you know, it, it's a taste thing, honestly. So, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure, might like one style over another. Uh, like the uh, this one, the one with. Uh, Captain, uh, oh, he's got it's a punny name, uh, Hanover Fist. Hanover Fist. Uh, uh, you know, it, was, it reminds me of Banana Man on Nickelodeon. Mm. Uh, you know, and it's got like, you know, some, some of them have really cool art, but then the animation is stiff. And mm. other ones have simplistic art, but the animation is smooth. And I'm not talking about the rotoscoping because that's rotoscoping. That's totally different. Uh, like in the Tarna segment when she's getting dressed, that's all rotoscoped. And it looks great. You get that lifelike mu- movement, but you also get that very distinct rotoscope animation, which uh, kind of hit or miss with me. Sometimes it, it it works fine. Sometimes it's like, I don't know, it just seems kind of weird. 
but that's again personal. That's a all just a personal preference, right? But uh, some trivia about the movie. Uh, it was in, like I mentioned. It was inspired by the uh, long-running science fiction magazine, the same name, which began in Europe as Metal Hurlant. And like I said, most of the pretty much every story segment is based on a character or story from the actual magazine. You know, so it's it's basically a book adaptation for the most part. Except it's a magazine uh, adaptation. And the home. Now, this is the reason why it was so hard to find. It's pretty much all comes down to music licensing, which we all know affects tons of stuff. Everybody's used to licensing now because of Netflix and every all the streaming services. Like, oh, I want to watch Lord of the Rings. Well, goddamn it, it's not on there anymore because you know the rights are gone. So now it's on HBO Max and or Peacock or whatever. So you're always bouncing between uh, different streaming services to find a movie you want sometimes. But yeah, the home video was actually removed from circulation for several years because of the problems with the music licensing. Uh, I mean, with so many bands and artists on the soundtrack, securing the rights to the music proved very, very difficult. Uh, and 83 is when it supposedly first aired on HBO. And prior to an official release on VHS and Laserdisc in 96, VHS on 96, it was re-released to 54 theaters in 1996, taking in another half million. And the subsequent home video movie release moved over 1 million units. So it had over a million in sales for the when it finally hit video, the official release in 96 on VHS. 96, the tail end of VHS. Well, you know, DVD's coming out, you know, so uh, uh, on the verge of coming out, I should say. I'm not sure the exact date. Um, I think I got my DVD. My first DVD player was the PlayStation 2. Uh, so whenever DVD players, so whenever that was, that's when I got into DVDs. My first DVD, Jet Li's Fist of Legend. Uh, there you go. Trey Fax. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, and then it was released on Blu-ray in 2011. And then when it first released, it was actually a Best Buy exclusive uh, from February 1st until June 14th when everybody could then have it, which is a big flex move by Best Buy back when they actually had a, you know, DVD and Blu-ray section in their store. Now I'm, I went to a Best Buy and like, it, I, it was like one rack of Blu-rays and like DVDs. That was it. I used to go to, uh, what was it? DVDs, uh, Blu-rays would come out on Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I would go to Best Buy <laughs> to get whatever uh, movie I needed to get for that week. Uh, now, you know, it's like there's no, at least the Best Buys that I've been into, uh, it's all appliances and, you know, yeah. uh, tech gear, you know, GoPros and drones and phone accessories and TVs and all that kind of stuff. More video games, actually, racks of video games and actually movies, at least the ones I've been into, so... Kind of sad mm-hmm. in a little bit. And then the soundtrack was originally released on LP in 81, but for legal reasons, when it's not re- released again on a CD until 1995. And when it did, it peaked at number 12 on the Billboard 200 chart, which was unusual for the time. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. I went to the next. Uh, that wasn't unusual for the time. But the when the LP came out, they also it released, they had the licensed music. They also had Elmer Bernstein's score alongside it. So when you got the soundtrack, you actually got the OST and the soundtrack on one, which is really cool. Because uh, that's the thing nowadays. It's like, oh, oh, I want to get the Suicide Squad soundtrack. Okay, well, I need to make sure I get either the OST if I want the music or if I want the soundtrack with all the licensed stuff. So uh, releasing them together, I think, is how it always should be, personally. Because if you want the soundtrack, I want all the music from the movie. But uh, it was unusual for the time in 81. And... Honestly, you don't still today. It's like you got to make sure am I getting the licensed music soundtrack or, like I said, you know, the actual score 
So you got to be careful when you order those or buy them uh, on iTunes or whatever without double checking because mm. I've done both by mistake. <laughs> Just being, oh, yeah, Halloween Kill soundtrack. John Carpenter, whoops, wrong one. That's a bad example because there's only one soundtrack, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, that was a mess. <laughs> but anyway, uh, as with the magazine, the evil emanation of Din Battles, that Din Battles is called uh, Tlacht. I can't pronounce that right, but it's actually Cthulhu spelled backwards. Obviously a reference to the God of Chaos from H.P. Lovecraft, noted racist. Uh, and the voice of the robot that sells Harry Kane in the hot dog in his in the, that uh, you know film noir cabbie segment is actually Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet. So I'm not sure why it's not credited to the person who did his voice, but or machine that made it. I don't know. I don't know too much about Robbie the Robot. I just know he's from Forbidden Planet. I don't know what the voice was. If it said something or if it was just a goddamn sound clip. Not sure. Now, at the end of the movie, it's very off-putting, or it's very like noticeable because there's a, the house explodes at the end, and it's real. It's not animated. <laughs> it was supposed to be rotoscoped, but the m- release date got moved up from August se- to August 7th, so if, due to a lack of time, they just left it in the movie. <laughs> so it goes from the animated movie to this live house exploding, which I was just like, what? <laughs> okay. I mean, you go on, you know, it fits, it fits. Don't get me wrong, but it's very like, whoa, okay. That's not animated. Uh, but it makes sense. I mean, it goes with what you're seeing. Cause there's, you know, there's not much to it here, so to speak. And then big deal, you know, Behind the scenes stuff, it, it, it fits. I'm not going to hold it against it. Uh, when the aliens are stoned and flying through space, if you pay attention, I notice this, you can quickly see the Enterprise for a brief second uh, through the debris when they're flying through it. So you got that. And then any, if you know uh, uh, some, some dude named Elon Musk is a real, must be a big fan of this movie because, of course, when he launched, everybody remembers the Starman, which that's mm-hmm. the David Bowie reference, I believe. Uh, when he says Starman, unless the, star, the character in this actually has a name, I'm not sure in the beginning. Uh, but it was playing David Bowie, I think, but it has a car with the astronaut, just like the beginning of this movie, but it's playing David Bowie music in the car, the Tesla that he shot in the space, mm-hmm. uh, which used to be able to like watch where it was. And I think now it's like out of range or something, or the battery died or something like that on it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and the Tarnas storyline was actually illustrated by the acclaimed artist, which we mentioned Mobius. And he was concerned about the environment, which was the background in the Tarnas segment is incredible like some of the best backgrounds in the show and it's it, that's the segment that actually looks the best for sure to me or, or in my opinion uh that's the most that's the most like traditionally animated one i guess so to speak uh it's just a little uh it's more um i guess traditional and it's, i mean it's more like a fan adult fantasy that's kind of where you really get into it clear storyline happening here this character would motivate you know something's happening it's pretty self-contained but it ties into everything so that's why I guess it's kind of is the most uh, notable one. Now, and now, now we're going to do some time math here. We got to do some speculation. Uh, in the Harry Canyon segment, at around 14 minutes and 35 seconds into the film, a giant poster on a building is promoting Jaws 7. Hmm. Now, the date on Harry Canyon's copy of the New York Times is July 3rd, 2031. That means Jaws 7 isn't released until at least 2031. Right. Now, in Back to the Future Part 2, which the future was in 2015, we were already on Jaws 19 in 2015. So all I can speculate is that Jaws 19, because as Marty said, that the shark still looks super fake. Jaws 19 killed the franchise. And then between 2015 and 2031, they rebooted the franchise to where they were on the reboot franchise, Jaws 7, in the Harry Canyon segment. So... 
just had to do some futuristic jaws uh, wrangling there for everybody's uh, but IRL, useless gray matter. There's no jaws <laughs> in the future. Pretty much. There's never going to be another Jaws sequel. Right. Hopefully. I just don't you know, see it. You know, it's going to have to be a remake. And we've talked about it before, but the only way that's going to fly is if you literally remake the book. Like, ignore the Spielberg and just, you know, this is a book accurate version of Jaws. Okay. Right. It's going to, you know, it's not going to be good because the movie's better than the fucking book. But, you know, knock yourself out. Maybe it'll be interesting. I don't know. It'd be an interesting experiment, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. uh, Elmer Bernstein worked on the scores for both this and. John the Asshole Lannis's horror comedy in American World in London at the same time. Uh, of course, like I mentioned, this movie's parody by South Park. And if you want to know the episode, it's the 12th season, and the episode is titled Major, Major Boobage, in which Kenny and Gerald get high off cat piss and have several hallucinations, uh, which has a lot of references to the movie, including the soundtrack, the female warrior, all that kind of stuff. Uh, body count. Jesse, would you like to just just throw out a number? Just oh you know, guess God. the body count of this movie. Um... It's obvious when I say it, it's going to be obvious. 100. Put it to you that way. <laughs> uh, 69, dude. Uh... So, obvious in hindsight, I guess. <laughs> they did have a sequel, uh, Heavy Metal 2000, which coincidentally was released in the year 2000. Now, in 2008, there was talks of a remake uh, with Paramount Pictures with David Fincher spearheading the project. However... By 2011, Robert Rodriguez announced at Comic-Con that he had purchased the film rights to Heavy Metal and planned to develop a new animated film at his new Quickdraw Studios at the time. However, on March 15th, 2019, the reboot was released on Netflix as a reimagining, however, and it was titled Love, Death, and Robots, which I saw on oh, Netflix. Right. I didn't watch the series, but I remember seeing that on Netflix. I'm like, oh, that's, this looks cool. Added it to my queue. Haven't watched it. Had no clue. It was sort of distantly related to 1981's Heavy Metal. Uh, Score-wise, I'm rating it how I watch it today. Obviously, I give it a five. Uh, it's not bad. It's it's a cool... I think it's it's cool. It's a cool movie that I'll never watch again It because if you, you have to watch it when this was... This was this was bad... How This was badass in 1981. You have to think of it from the time it was released. It does not hold up this is 80s Revisited. We're revisiting it today. It's, you know, it's it, it's a it's cool to have, you know, if you're having a party or you're, you know, you're playing World of Warcraft or, you know, you're playing a game and you want to have something on in the background, have it on in the background. It's perfect for that. You got some cool tunes. You got some titties, all sorts of cool stuff that dudes like. <laughs> and some ladies like too. Everybody likes titties. Uh, so, yeah, but is it a good movie? I mean, it's got some cool stories, but I wouldn't say it's a good movie. It's, you know, I... I I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's right there. Smack dab. It's five for me. So there you go. That's all I got to say for the most part about heavy metal until uh, we get to our letters, our emails, I should say. But uh, in the real world, again, heavy metal released August 7th, 1981. Six days earlier, the first 24-hour music video channel, MTV, launched in the United States and played its first video. And everybody should know this bit of trivia. The first video ever played on MTV was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles, which, by the way, if you like that song, the Presidents of the United States of America had a great cover of it. Uh, but yeah, now I don't even know if there's a 24-hour music video channel nope. anymore. The box. So now, <laughs> no. is, 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 is it still there? No, I doubt. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's called YouTube. Uh, I guess YouTube. You can, yep. Yeah, uh, go to YouTube and find a 24-hour music video playlist if you want to watch it. I mean, now it's all on demand, so you don't need. I guess you don't need a channel. I want to watch a new YouTube video. I want to watch a new Judas Priest video. 
Go to YouTube. They're all there. Mm-hmm. We check out that new Adele video that was all over my news feed because Adele released a new music video. Yep. I mean, honestly, why are you even releasing music videos these days when there's no MTV? I mean, where I guess just for YouTube views. I mean, you're They're just, you make. know, and I guess Mark, <laughs> yeah, in promotion, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's the only reason I can think of. But also, one day after heavy metal graced movie theaters, in my opinion, the greatest tennis player of all time was born, the Swiss Terminator, Roger Federer, the second most decorated tennis player of all time. Jimmy Connors is number one. He has 109 uh, titles. Federer has 103. My girl, Serena Williams, just to let you know where she places, uh, 73 titles. Uh, So she's definitely in consideration for GOAT. But if you want to go by titles, uh, Jimmy Connors is still number one. But Federer, uh, when Federer came out, I hated him because he he pretty much kind of really rose to his prominence right as Agassi was on his way out. And him and Agassi had some amazing matches. Uh, and they're good friends in reality, too, which I found out later, which made him always... Because I always wanted Agassi to beat him, because it was kind of like, Agassi can get it one more Grand Slam if he could just get past Federer. And you're in that last set, and it's like, ah! Andre just peters out, and Federer just puts the nail in the coffin. Uh, but I've really come... Like, Federer's amazing. Like, he's a, he's a cool dude. I like him a lot. He's a good athlete. He's a great tennis player. And, like, uh, don't like the Djokovic. And our friends in Australia put him in his place and kicked him out of there because uh, he's anti-vax and, you know, which, hey, that's your opinion, but you're fucking wrong and you're endangering lives. So get the fuck out of that country. Uh, so good job on that, Australia, in my opinion. You know, you got rules. You got to follow the rules. You go to a country, you respect their culture, you respect their rules. Bottom line. Uh, that's my opinion on that. Yeah. <laughs> but then another sports star was born a few days later, uh, a week later, Kofi Kingston. Ah. WWE superstar who will find some miraculous way to get eliminated, almost eliminated from the Royal Rumble in a f- couple weeks, and then <laughs> magically get back in the ring without his right. feet touching the ground. Always happens, and it's always cool. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When when you see Kofi about to get eliminated, you're always like, "What's the spot gonna be? What's it gonna be? How's he gonna avoid elimination this time?" So it's always look always, and he's a great wrestler as well. So it's always good to see him. Uh, and always, always the rumble is always his time to shine, uh, yearly. You can always count on that in the rumble unless something happens and they, you know, they just, he's not in it for some reason. I don't know. WWE is confusing to me because I only watch it twice a year. Roy Rumble, <laughs> WrestleMania. So, yeah. and then back to the future this week, Jesse, I saw the Eternals on Div- Disney plus. Did you happen to catch I that? I did yet? too. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Okay. Now I will say this about the Eternals Spoilers ahead. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. We're going to totally ruin this movie. Uh, I did not see it in the theater. I obviously was waiting for it to come to Disney Plus. Cause, so glad you know, I didn't watch it in the theater. Well, but honestly, I'm a, <laughs> uh, I'm a, uh, we might be at odds on this a little bit, uh, which is great uh, because you know the Eternals cool. You know, I don't. You know, I know who they are. I don't really care about them. However, the current run of Eternals comics mm-hmm. is actually really pretty damn good. So the current Eternals right now, uh, Thanos yeah. has become the lead Eternal. Because Thanos is an eternal. So Thanos in Infinity War eliminating half the universe population was basically trying to stop all these celestials from being born. So Thanos was right. He was trying to save everybody by sacrificing half to save yeah. trillions and billions in the future. <laughs> if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Which you probably does not. <laughs> but well, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, they mentioned that, you know, they, they put it off. Um, which isn't really saving it, is it? <laughs> it's just delaying it. <laughs> exactly. You know, just for another hundred thousand years or something. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so humans I are procreating. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Humanity is a disease. All right. 
but yeah, you know, so uh, the director is Chloe Zhao, and she did mm-hmm. Nomadland, which I thought was completely overrated. But she also did her movie before that was called The Writer, which was actually a really good movie. I thought it was, uh, you know, it's a different kind. Of, you know, she's she's a very unique filmmaker. It's 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 odd when I heard that she was doing The Eternals. However, uh, about the, I'll talk about my the, the stuff I liked about it first. Well, basically, in a nutshell, I like this movie a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people. Lot, the consensus seemed to be like you either you either love it it's one of the you know it's amazing or it's garbage there doesn't seem to be a mid ground on it i'm in the mid ground on it to be pers- uh, you know it'd be to me it's mid tier mcu um visually i think it was stunning uh in terms of the shots the cg was sometimes it's good sometimes it's really bad uh the uh the plot twists i didn't see coming i thought oh well this is interesting uh Basically, two plot twists like, oh, all of a sudden the Eternals are bad guys, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they're going to save the world, and then all of a sudden Rob Stark is the bad guy. He's going to be bad, and then he's going to fly into the sun and commit suicide at the <laughs> end. Uh, you know, so there's there I have there's some questionable choices, mm-hmm. but I overall I was surprised about how I, I was surprised how much I liked it. Uh, you know, is it top tier? No. Is it is it as bad as Thor two or you know the ones people generally consider to be low tier? I wouldn't say so. I think, I think it set out. I, it honestly, it, it should have been a Disney Plus series and not a movie, because I think that it was two and a half hours long, which is way too long. Uh, but but you have what thirty characters <laughs> to get through here and to explain stuff. You know, it's not really thirty. I'm exaggerating, obviously, but it's too many characters. Uh, and however, we do get to see. I was surprised that they killed off several of them, and unfortunately, they killed off my favorite character, which was Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, which kind of pissed me off. Like, oh, come on, kill off somebody else. Don't kill him. Kill off Drew. He sucks. <laughs> but you know, his part, you know, and it's, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say this because there's, there's a great meme I saw after this movie came on Disney plus it showed, it showed that master shot of all the Eternals, like standing there triumphantly from the beginning of the movie. And it's like Eternals at a hundred percent. And then it showed a picture of Icarus and it says Eternals at 99%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty so much. It's really, it's really dumb. How he's why did you need the other Eternals, Celestial? You just had Icarus. You know, why do you have a dude? Basically, Superman was you know it's like if Superman got the rest of the uh Daily Bugle to be his uh sidekicks. (laughs) You you take good pictures, that's your power. You're good at writing poetry, you're poetry master. You know, I mean, I, now I like the fact that they all have specific powers. I like you know, Fastos, I thought he was cool. I like I like what they did with him. How you can like you know, he's like basically Forge to give you an. If you're not familiar with the Eternals, but you're familiar right. with X Men, think Forge. He can like build shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cersei. As far as I knew in the comics, she could like fly and do stuff, almost like Rogue sort, of, except with the power without power absorption. I thought I was way off on her because she can like turn things to other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no explanation. It's just like sometimes I turn, and she basically says it too. Uh, sometimes I turn rocks to sand. Yeah. Sometimes a feather. Like, what power is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna, a, yeah, yeah. You. She was the biggest a, issue for me throughout, mm-hmm. throughout the film. I pretty you're much the main agree character. with you for a lot of it. Like, yeah, it's very middle of the road here. Um, as you know, and some people might not know, I shoot movies, and the biggest issue I had with this is that aspect ratio constantly changing. Really? Yeah, oh, it was yeah. so jarring. Is like we cut from you're looking at one person, then you cut to the other person, and all of a sudden the black bars are back on the screen. 
Mm-hmm. And it just kept going back and forth throughout the whole thing. So much so, so I paused in the middle of the movie. And I looked it up. I was like, what is up with this aspect ratio in Eternals? And it's actually a, it's a big thing where a lot of people are complaining about it. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think that's because like it's the IMAX ratio. It, it goes back and forth. I think that's what that's what it was. They filmed Maybe, like um, they filmed only a small portion of it with IMAX camera, and then they went and filmed the rest of it with a different camera. It just didn't make sense. And the person who filmed it filmed all sorts of Marvel movies just fine. Um, it's almost like they didn't trust this movie to be a fully IMAX movie, where they were just like, mm. "All right, you can have it for about ten percent of the movie, and the rest of it." Film it with uh, your your Alexa camera or whatever else. <laughs> your iPhones. Yeah, film your it with iPhone your iPhones. <laughs> Speaking of, the most unrealistic thing about this movie is the fact that Cersei, in the middle of the goddamn jungle, has enough internet and phone connection to have FaceTime right? with Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, what? They're in the middle of the jungle and she's got a cell connection? And that uh, was just, yeah, that's, that, that scene was just like a reminder saying, oh yeah, don't forget, he's still in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. Stay, stay tuned, he's coming back. Yeah. Um, but you know, does. it's, it, it, it felt honest, honest I, I, I gotta be fair to the movie. It felt, you know, I'm going, I was like, wow, two and a half hours. Okay. Let's go ahead and get it started. And then mm-hmm. like, it didn't seem that long, but there's a lot of stuff they could have cut out. Uh, it's just, I get, I think cause they had so many characters that I guess that did work in its advantage, at least in terms of the runtime. Cause it was like, okay. And then once they get to the beach at the end, mm-hmm. then it's bad. Then it's a Marvel movie. Right. There's so much like world building and like, Oh, we broke up and then we're going back in time, then mm-hmm. forward in time. You know, I understand that storytelling device. It did kind of work, but I almost would have just rather had the series to where, like, you know, this episode's in 5000 BC. This episode's, th- and you're going through time with yeah, them. I agree with that. And you could see it better. But um, uh, yeah, overall, yeah. the story, I, I'm, I was good with the story. I actually, like you said, the twists, um, as it explained it over the span of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But. I don't know. It all felt kind of juvenile, like it's meant for a younger mm-hmm. audience. I feel. Yeah, like, uh, maybe watered down or something. Like, uh, I get what you're saying for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, bottom line is, I didn't hate it. You know, I thought. Well, will I watch it again? The whole thing, probably not. Will I watch the last thirty minutes again? Probably, because it was pretty. It was very pretty. The fight mm-hmm. scene, the way they handled um, the Flash. <laughs> Macari, uh, <laughs> like the, the the way they handle like one one actually, let me take one step back. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, I like how you know you don't because you know in Spider Man Far From Home you know they have to learn to be a team and they learn to be a team at the last five minutes of the movie you know right. what I'm saying, and the Avengers movies you see like some teamwork. Every fight where they're fighting together was like very well done to where like you know. Gilgamesh sets him up in the air and then uh, Vasto shoots him with something and then Thena, you know, towards Thena who cuts it open and then Macari like rams it. Like like the, the teamwork aspect was really well done mm-hmm. in the fight scenes and especially the end where it's basically all of them against Icarus because you gotta, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Like, you know, because and my biggest complaint with a lot of these, the Marvel movies and TV shows is that there's no defined power levels for characters. Like take the Hawkeye show, for example, yeah. uh, Hawkeye's he's a goddamn Avenger. Mm-hmm. And uh, Haley Steinfeld, who I, I thought was great. I, lo- I, I like the Hawkeye show. Don't get me wrong, but you know, she's won some trophies and is Avenger. <laughs> level. That's all it takes to be Avenger level. Yeah. And then the uh, echo in the show, the uh, not to be insensitive, but in case you don't know, that's the, the deaf girl. 
in the show. Uh, you know, she's beating up Hawkeye and she's just a street thug with a fake leg. No, you know, it's just like, no, he's a goddamn Avenger. Like they're, they're, a, they're they need to have like a power, like uh, one of the coolest things back in the day when, uh, like they have like the Marvel unit, Marvel would have trading cards. You, you, everything had trading cards in the nineties, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you had like the, the cards and like you have Cyclops's card. And then on the back of Cyclops's card, it'd be like, you know, strength, you get their stats basically. You know, energy projection, a 10, endurance, two. Like, you, you would see their weakness. You know, they'd flesh out the characters. You know, I that, I think that's the one thing the MCU lacks. They There need to be tiers of power. Like, Spider-Man beats Doctor Strange in No Way Home. Yeah, whatever. But it's, but you know, it's because it's the move. The name of them on the title is Spider-Man No Way Home, not Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So, you know, that's a comic trope. That's fine. But, you know, you can't – Daredevil – should not be able to beat up Black Widow. Well, well, he's hmm. kind of he's got an advantage because of his sense. Uh, Might have to Moon Knight should not be able to this. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. They, if you're, that's the one thing I, I would love to know if Kevin Feig, Feig, I don't know how you pronounce, I don't know how you pronounce Feige. his last name. Like you should have like this is S tier. You know Thor. Uh, who else? Who's like a god level in the MCU? Uh, Icarus would be S tier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and then like to where like okay, if this and it, that's the one thing I, I can't stand. You, Peter Parker has been Spider Man for sixty fucking years in the comic, a long time. Even for the character in the world, he's been Spider Man a long time. But you know, Johnny, jo- you know, uh, Squidler, Squidlerson, genius scientist, falls into a vat of squids and becomes the squid. And he can fight Spider-Man all of a sudden, you know, with no combat experience. It's like, no, he should get his butt whooped. Like, wow, you're easy. <laughs> gotcha. You're done. And then, ah, Spider-Man beat me the first time, but I can come back and do something late. You know, there's there needs to be just some sort of rationale here, if you get what I'm yeah. saying, you know. Uh, you know, oh, Batman can beat Superman. Yeah, because Bat- but Batman has to have prep time. It's not just like on a casual Tuesday, Batman just like, whoa, all of a sudden I got to fight Superman, which Batman in his chili belt always keeps kryptonite for that reason. But notwithstanding, you know, you get what I'm saying. Right. You know, like, uh, like for, like, for example, uh, Nightcrawler, I think Nightcrawler, Nightcrawler is one of my favorite X-Men. I think he's incredibly, I mean, he's not in the movies yet, but he's incredibly, well, he was, but he was right. In terms of like mutant power, like you know, in in the comic books, you have Omega level mutants like Magneto, I believe, Iceman, Jean Grey. But like Nightcrawler, like if I had to pick a mutant to be to like kill every other mutant, I'd either pick Rogue or Nightcrawler. Well, I'd pick Rogue to win because you just got to pick your targets and you're you're, you're golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but Nightcrawler, because you know, oh Professor X, nah, bro. When I in he like he has to kill you like. But it's a race of thoughts. And once Nightcrawler teleports, he's out like of your range because he's in another dimension when he teleports. But, you know, all Nightcrawler has to do is just teleport and grab Charles Xavier's head and teleport again in a split second. And Professor X is dead. (laughs) Wolverine, bye, bro. Bamf, you're dead. Jean Grey, bamf, you're dead. You know, that's Nightcrawler's badass is what I'm getting at here. You know, like there, but there are levels like, of course, he would never do that because he's a good Catholic guy uh, in the comics. But you get what I'm saying. There's tier levels. And for the Eternals, Icarus is S, and all the other ones are like C. <laughs> Th- no, Thena is an A. Gilgamesh might be a B. 
uh, you know what I'm saying? If you get like the tier, like, you get what I'm saying, you know, but it's like the MCU needs that because certain, you know, Spider-Man fighting Thanos, you know, right. yeah, he can, you know, hey, hey, dude, web one of the gems off the gauntlet. That's all you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, and again, I'm being facetious here, but there, in a way, but nothing bugs me more than like, like in the Hawkeye show, it, it you know, all of a sudden she's, these people are on par with an Avenger. Oh, but it's Hawkeye. Hawkeye can, is like, can fucking shoot anything like without looking like that's his whole thing. Like he is the greatest archer. He is the Avenger level marksman. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, who's his competition in the MCU? Well, in, or in Marvel comics, bullseye basically is it. And the only thing that separates, you know, Hawkeye uses a bow. Of course he uses other things. Bullseye can use whatever, you know, he can use a goddamn paperclip like he does yeah. in the Ben Affleck movie with <laughs> lethal accuracy, you know? So actually who's the best marksman in MCU or Marvel comics? Probably bullseye, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, you know, but then like, Oh, the street level punk can fight an Avenger. No, that's not how, no Hawkeye. You know, oh, well he has a hearing aid now. He, he's still a goddamn Avenger. I mean, come on. Anyway, rant over. Sorry, that took up way well, more, much more time than I, I thought mean, it would. Bullseye is not an Avenger, but he can still be the best at something. So maybe she. Well, he well technically in the comics he was a Dark Avenger where he masqueraded as uh, true, who? True. Hawkeye. <laughs> so uh, technically he wasn't. I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm messing with you know. You're absolutely right. But I'm the street punk could be the best street fighter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make a character called Street Punk. It's like he just goes <laughs> around like, hey. Captain America, I'm robbing the store so I can prove that I can beat you up. You know, what would happen? Shield throw. Bang. Done. He's dead. (laughs) He's unconscious. Sorry, son. You can't fight America itself. Or, you know, whatever. Whatever. Anyway, so we both saw Eternals. Uh, I say watch it. I think it's, you know, it it surprised me. But then again, yeah, set aside the time. But again, if 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 you find it slow, it's worth it for the in-fight scene. It's uh, that that part. I was like, hell, like, yes, this is awesome. Finally, finally. Mm-hmm. And the uh, end credit stingers are silly, honestly. Uh, of course, the voice at the end when, uh, of course, Kit Harrington plays Dane Whitman, I think is the last name or Whitmore. I can't remember the last name. He's the Black Knight in the comics. All right. And the Ebony Blade, which they name drop earlier in the movie. He's like the sword that kind of like sucks your soul or like bonds with you. It, it can take you over, make you crazy kind of stuff. Uh, and the voice at the end is, uh, I think it's, I always forget his first name. I think it's Marshala Ali yeah. is the one who's playing the new blade, mm-hmm. which a uh, great actor looking forward to his movie. But I, you know, I do wish they would have kept Wesley Snipes' blade, oh, but he has legal trouble. He's, he's old, but Marshala Ali will fucking kill it. No doubt about it. Uh, but that's his voice at the end. So it's going to be interesting to see, are they, are they, is the black Knight going to be in the blade movie now? I mean, how's that going to work? You know, do you need, do you need that? No, I want blade fighting fucking Dracula, man. I don't need like the black Knight teaming up with blade. Like black Knight is an Avenger. He's, or he's, uh, well, now he's an eternal in this, in this movie. That's how they introduce him. So, but anyway, as teased last week for this back to the future segment, uh, haven't done it yet. So we're got to do it now before it's too far removed from 2021. Uh, but Trey's top 10 movies of 2021 in no particular mm-hmm. order until the last two. Uh, so I'm just going to run through them. Uh, top 10 movies that I think everybody should have seen last year. My favorite ones, uh, Green, The Green Knight. Uh, not for everybody, but I thought it was great. It's beautiful. The score is great. The end is just like, damn! Like It's, it's just a, it's, it's really good. I really enjoyed it. 
another movie I really enjoyed was the Mortal Kombat reboot from earlier, really early last year. Uh, despite all the stuff you might not like about it, when Scorpion appears and says, get over here, <laughs> and that Mortal Kombat thing kicks in, if you don't have a smile on your face, you're not fucking human, because that was absolutely, like, that was one of the moments of the year, movie-wise for me. Like, you know, top 10 movie moments, that would be, like, up there for me when that happens, because that was so badass. We waited so long for an R-rated Mortal Kombat. Uh, now, I'll put this one on my best of list, too, as well as The Green Knight, but The Eyes of Tammy Faye, I really, that, there's... You know, that's not, not that's not normally my type of movie, so to speak, but I was enthralled by that movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I never was a fan of Jess, Jessica Chastain until that movie, but her and, and Andrew Garfield as well both killed it. And it was just a fun movie to watch. Yeah. Uh, to also see how terrible, you know, millionaire religious tele, uh, televangelists are. Uh, and speaking of batshit crazy, uh, my pick for the Nicolas Cage movie of the year Prisoners of the Ghostland. Nick Cage has a suit with bombs on his neck, arms, knees, and his balls. <laughs> One of those bombs, several of those bombs go off, and I'm not going to tell you where. Uh, but it's totally batshit crazy Nicolas Cage. Well worth watching. It's so off the wall and ridiculous. Uh, I recommend if you like If you like Nick Cage like me, or you just like crazy-ass movies, Prisoners of the Ghostland, highly recommend. Uh, another fun movie. Uh, that I think delivered was uh, Godzilla versus Kong. We got the, we got a winner. Godzilla, as rightfully so, beat King Kong. Kong acknowledged at the end of the movie and walked away, and they both teamed up against Mechagodzilla. I fucking loved it. The human stuff was bullshit. All the <laughs> giant monster stuff, fucking great. Uh, let's see, and then uh, Nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Uh, kind of a black action comedy kind of thing. If you haven't seen it, highest possible recommendation. Really fun. Christopher Lloyd's in it. Haven't seen him anything in forever. Really good seeing him. And then uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which we talked about last week. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Blew me away how good it was and how that it struck that good balance between nostalgia and passing the torch to the next generation. Uh, so you know, closing out the OG Ghostbusters, but then opening the door for the new ones. I think it's a they did it better than probably anything else in that regard. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home goes without saying it was incredible uh the nostalgia again last year was really nostalgia for the most part mortal Kombat, godzilla versus kong ghostbusters spider-man so a lot of nostalgia last year uh, that i think delivered uh delivered a lot uh and then my top two and either, you know these are my these were these are the two movies i will watch again and again and i really really love the most out of last year uh suicide squad james gunn's suicide squad i still put that that's my back that's my go-to put on the movie in the background movie right now like i just put it on and i listen to it watch it get caught up in certain scenes so damn good i love james gunn i'm a total simp for everything he does but i would have, if i had to pick one movie as being the best and my favorite movie of last year i'd have to go with last night in soho that was uh a roller coaster of a movie like i'm thinking this and then oh shit no it's this oh wait no it's this oh but finally it's this uh, it's kind of like hard candy without the real uncomfortableness the whole time and just Beautifully to beautiful to watch, beautiful to listen to. Really damn good movie, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much. So I recommend all those all those top ten movies, all those ten movies. I should say highest possible recommendation. If you like any of my opinions, I think you'll like those. So let us know what your favorite movie was last year. Eighties revisited at gmail.com. dot revisited podcast on Facebook, Instagram eight zero s underscore revisited. Let us know on any of those. 
And before we go, we got some emails to get through. Uh, first off, our good, uh, you know, our good friend mentioned him earlier, UK Pete. Uh, he's helping me get some Pe- Peppa Pig contraband for my daughter from uh, overseas. <laughs> so I can't read that part of the email. But uh, he does uh, comment on some stuff. Uh, he says, John Landis, what a cunt. And he says, sorry. You have to apologize for saying cunt. I think, I mean, is it the most appropriate word? Absolutely not. I mean, cunt overseas or in England or UK is pretty much kind of like our equivalent of fuck over here. Like they could say fuck all over the TV in the UK, to my knowledge. When I was there, I heard it on TV. Uh, You know, but cunt's kind of like the, that's the really bad word, to my knowledge. UK Pete, let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, So cunt's a funny word. You know, is it the most appropriate these days? Not really. But, you know, so dick's funny too. You know, dick, cunt, (laughs) they're all funny. Uh, Anyway, he goes on to say enough about cunt uh i had uh i had read about the accident not viewing the footage but wasn't truly aware of his part in it i think my previous comment says all i need to say about my feelings toward him so i'll leave it at that however thank you for bringing this to the attention of a new audience it's always tragic when someone dies on set doing their job but this was not just tragic it was negligent on a gross scale and i'm amazed he quote got away with it absolutely pete uh moving on uh, ghostbusters afterlife loved it such a great conclusion to the first two Handle with love and affection for the fir- first film, yet standing strong as it's on movie. I agree 100%. The kids were great, McKenna in particular. It wasn't overly long. Hello, Eternal. <laughs> Hello, Eternals. Uh, <laughs> and it hit all the right emotional buttons when I first heard that siren, and then they reappeared. I admit to getting a little emotional. Absolutely, same here. Bill Murray has still got it. And we got returned to assist his granddaughter. Water leaked from my eyes quite a bit. Same here, dude. As I just turned 40. Dude, I didn't know you were 48. Wow, you're older than me. It was so lovely to see a sequel to a film of my youth be so respectful and not force any agenda down the viewer's throat. Yes, Star Wars, Star Trek, I'm looking at you 100%. Uh, That's my words, 100% part. I think this and Spider-Man have been my favorite films of the year, although I've not really been to the cinema much this year for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Best wishes to Jesse, your wife, and all involved in Asia Visited. You pretty much got them all right there. (laughs) So uh, it's nice to have you back on a regular basis, Pete. So again, Pete, thanks for the email. Uh, you know, never met you, but, you know, I consider you a, a good friend and, and, you know, and everything like that. So always good to hear from you. Uh, everything you said about Ghostbusters, I agree with. Everything you say about John Landis, I agree with. So <laughs> much appreciated. Uh, stay safe over there and we'll talk to you soon. And then last night, actually 21 hours ago, I got an email from, I hope I pronounced your last name right. Uh, J, J, first name J, J Osiki. Uh, he says, Dear Trey and Jesse, recently got into the pod and enjoying it immensely since it aims for and most always hits my pop culture sweet spot. I'm e-riding you from the great white north, fitting since that's where your next cast topic largely took shape, speaking of heavy metal. Uh, and I did send him an email back because uh, he has a lot of knowledge apparently of the movie, so uh, hopefully he'll respond. I'm sure he will, he'll respond. Uh, and give me anything I missed going over it, he'll be able to fill us in and give us some uh, better insight, which we'll relay next week episode uh but he goes on to say my history and with and knowledge of the heavy metal movie dates back to its summer 81 release and if you're interested i'd love to save you some prep time for your heavy metal episode by sharing and pointing you towards pertinent info and resources for instance a potentially great making of documentary that got started but will probably never be finished Mm. there's also the unfortunate story of how my heavy metal research and fandom ultimately made me the film's biggest friend to me which I think I can, I definitely could see that. Uh, no big deal if you don't need the assist or if the episode is all but finished already. I'm just appreciative that someone is acknowledging the film, which just had its 40th anniversary with no fanfare, not even a video reissue. Very true. 
Uh, as rotten as heavy metal is, there's a rich story to be told about how it came to be in its unique place in pop culture history. I'm looking forward to hearing your take on it. All the best and happy new year, J-O. Uh, so, Jay, you know, anything I miss, send us that info, dude. We'll get it, get it out to everybody else next week. Uh, you know, I pretty much went over everything I had to say about the movie for the most part. Uh, but I definitely agree with you. It does have a very unique place in pop culture. Uh, so I hope, you know, I didn't disappoint you with the episode. Or we, I should say. Excuse me, because it's definitely me and Jesse. <laughs> I'm going to do this alone. Uh, so that's all the emails. You know, and again, if you want to send an email, don't forget, 80svisited at gmail.com. I listed all that stuff earlier. Leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. You know, and if you want to leave a one star review because you hate the podcast, I'm cool with that. But leave a reason why. So I ask, you know, if you hate my voice, you hate Jesse for some reason, which I can't fathom why you would hate the producer when I'm the one that does 90 percent of the talking. Mm -hmm. You know, tell us why in the comments, you know, leave a review if you're going to leave one good or bad. Say what's good. Say what's bad. Creative criticism does nothing but improve everything. So. And don't forget our good friends, uh, John, with the Cajun Tour View on YouTube. Give him a like and a subscribe and uh, all that kind of stuff. And our good friend, uh, Ben Wyatt, over in Tasmania uh, with the BAMcast. And, of course, Doomslayer, keep it up, man. You know, despite our differences in the past, I got to give it up to you. You know, one day, you'll get there, dude. Just keep it up. Keep on Doomslaying, Doomslayer. Mm. Anyway, next week, I don't know what the movie is next week. Uh, I was thinking about it. I will post it on social media, so like us on Instagram and Facebook because that's it's all linked, so it all go out through there and Twitter too. I forgot what the Twitter one is because I don't have that on my on my template, uh, but I never check it. So uh, you could there could be like Spielberg might have reached out to us on Twitter, and I wouldn't know because I check Twitter like once a f blue moon. But that's my fault because <laughs> I've accepted the fact that as a forty, nearly forty two year old male, I just don't do Twitter. <laughs> It's right. not it's not in the cards, baby. So anyway, that kind of wraps it up. Jesse, I forget anything. Um, no, I think you covered it. Good. Makes me feel I can sleep easy tonight. <laughs> anyway, so follow us on all the social and everything. I'll let you know what next week's movie is. If not, you'll see it when it pops up. And if you're an 80s fan, I'm sure you've probably seen it uh, or at least heard of it. So I was, I was listening to another podcast, too, and it was funny because I don't do this. If if, if But it, it kind of intrigues me. Like some people like movie podcasts this in, in particular was a horror movie podcast i was listening to and, and what they were saying how they get messaged all the time that people hate horror movies but they they'll if they're interested in the movie or want to hear what it's about they'll listen to that podcast about it so i'm curious if there's anybody out there who doesn't watch these movies or just doesn't care you just want to hear a gen xer rant or rave about them <laughs> on a podcast yeah so let us know if that's you I'm, I'm just i'm just curious of the mentality behind that i guess it's like maybe like almost like a twitch thing like i don't want to play this game, but I'm going to watch somebody play it. So I don't want to watch this movie, but I want to hear people talk about it. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the, the mindset we kind of live in these days. So there's that. But let us know. AsianVisitorGmail.com, all that kind of fun stuff. And until next time, uh, I remain Trey Harris. Yes, essentially. Cowabunga! Heavy metal! Insert wailing guitar there. This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Mm -hmm.